Hello there, party people. Oof, that is not a good intro for me. <laughs> I'm Robert Winfrey, and this is another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Tonight on the show, we have a review of last night's UFC on ESPN 28, a preview of the pay-per-view, UFC 265, some thoughts on Bellator, some fight announcements, and that's kind of it. It was a rather slow news week. I imagine this upcoming week is going to be a little bit more, uh, <laughs> a little bit busier. Uh, going to be a fair bit busier this coming week with the big show coming up. But that's where we stand at the moment. So that's on the agenda. Uh, before we get any further, please like, comment, subscribe, write a review. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts uh, in particular, I, I'm not sponsored by that. This is on a variety of platforms. But if you're on that one, please write a review. It would help a lot. Uh, in addition to a star rating, whatever you think it's worth. And whatever other platform you happen to be engaging on, again, a comment, uh, a follow or a subscription, uh, and please share. Let other people know about the show. We actually saw a little bit of a spike, and I don't know which of you did it. Somebody, I, I assume somebody shared this, and somebody else found the show and enjoyed it, because I don't talk about the numbers here a whole lot for a pretty specific reason. I, I'd say I don't care, because that's the wrong word. But I, I would do this as long as anyone's listening. The fact that my numbers are what my numbers are and not, let's be honest, my numbers are not huge. I'm, I'm fine with a smaller audience so long as it's not no one. If I'm just screaming into the void, then no, I, I would probably stop doing this. But there are people listening still, and it seems like a couple more people found the show. So if you're, you know, new-ish, uh, thank you. Happy you're here. Please share the show. That helps a lot. Uh, all right. That's kind of it. As far as the introduction goes, I'm flying solo per... That's usual more often than not these days, but uh, we'll see what happens after the next event. Because, you know, a, a bigger event like 265. We'll see. All right. Anyway, on to the review portion of the show, which is what we do for the most part here. Last night, UFC on ESPN 28. Boy, this card suffered a lot. Uh, this card originally had 15 fights on it, I think. Then the week of the fight came along, and we lost a lot. Uh, let's see. We lost uh, a fight between Shamil Abdurahimov and Chris Dawkins was postponed for unknown reasons at the moment. Let's see. Uh, we lost a fight between, I think, sh what? I'm pretty sure Sam Alvey and Roman Kopilov were supposed to fight here. Kopilov had visa issues. That's been a common theme over the last little bit. There have been some visa issues, and that's not really a surprise. If you're a United States citizen at the moment, and you want to get a passport or renew your passport, that's a, right now, giant pain. That is a giant pain in the butt right now. And <laughs> uh, the, I believe that's the, I believe that's the State Department. That's responsible for those. I'd have to double-check that, but forgive me. Whichever whichever piece of the government bureaucracy is in charge of this is backed up, understaffed, incompetent, some combination of all of it, who knows. And it's a giant pain. So it's not really a surprise that work visas would be a little bit of a tricky issue and a sticky widget on occasion for fighters coming in. So that's been coming up a bit recently. Oh, what else did we meet? What else did we lose? Uh, 
that was a replacement fight, so I don't think that'll count. Uh, and bear in mind, that's all before, like, weigh-in day. At the weigh-ins, we had a couple of fighters miss weight. Uh, one of them, Nico Montano, missed weight by a lot. She was supposed to fight at bantamweight. She weighed 143 pounds. So if you want to be strict about calling it about calling the weight class at 135, she missed by eight pounds. And if you're not in title fight, they give you the extra pound for some reason. So seven pounds over that. They canceled her fight. She was supposed to fight Wu Yanan, and the weight discrepancy was such that the bout had to be scrapped. Uh, we had another fighter miss weight, but we'll get to him when we get to him. And then, like hours before the event, we lost. A fight I was looking forward to, actually, Kyung Ho Kong and Ronnie Yaya were supposed to fight. But Yaya tested positive for COVID. And if you test positive for COVID, they won't let you fight, guys. I am uh, I am not here to try and convince you to take the vaccine. Okay? The following that I'm going to say is purely utilitarian. This goes for any athlete in any sport, pretty much. If you test positive for COVID, they won't let you play. If you're a fighter and you test positive, we all... There's another fight on the... Uh, the Jared Gooden and Nicholas Stolze fight was off for about 30 minutes. Uh, somebody in somebody's camp tested positive, but both Gooden and Stolze tested negative. So they decided to allow it to go on for... I'm not sure how advisable that was, but... That's not on me. That's a decision made by people with a lot more information than I have. Again, fighters, other athletes, I'm not telling you how to live your life in in the strictest sense. I have no I have no dominion over you, I have no authority over you, I have nothing. I just warn you, if you pop, pop if you test positive for this, they won't let you they won't let you play. They won't let you fight, they won't let you do whatever. So I don't and with the Delta variant and everything, I don't there's a very real question about how even with the vaccine, if you test positive, but fighting off the Delta variant is more about preventing the long-term negative health consequences. Uh, because that seems to be a bit nastier if you're unvaccinated versus vaccinated. So, look, my if you want my advice, my advice is barring extremely rare specific medical conditions to you as an individual, you should probably get the shot. I... My two cents. For whatever my opinion's worth, I have uh, I have some hesitancy myself. I'm not. I shouldn't say this because I don't. Uh, I I need to schedule mine. I was scheduled to get mine and then I got pretty sick actually. Not COVID, but I got a I got a nasty head cold. And I know it wasn't COVID because I got tested. It was not COVID, but whatever it was was. Ugh. I was pretty. That was not the sickest I've ever been, but I was pretty sick. So point being. Think about it. You should probably, you should, I think you should get it. Again, unless you have very, very specific medical conditions. Uh, as a general rule, probably it should be worth getting. Even if it, even if you don't think it's a traditional vaccine, and again, you know, I tend to think it's not in the traditional sense. It's more like the flu shot, which is not really a vaccine. It's just kind of a immuno booster. But neither here nor there. It, the darn thing works for, uh, for the most part. So. And for whatever my opinion on that is worth, it's pr it should be worth your time to get vaccinated. So, uh, 
again, for whatever my take on that is worth. So hopefully Yaya, if he does have it, uh, doesn't have a severe case, uh, and they can kind of reschedule that fight. I was looking forward to it, so we'll see what happens. So that was a card that had a lot of fights. Wound up going ahead with what was it, twelve? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Only ten fights. Jeez. So yeah, we lost a lot. This this card lost a lot of fights. Maybe this one wasn't fifteen. Maybe this was just more like thirteen. Either way, a uh, lot of fights were lost. Fortunately, what we did have was, for the most part, enjoyable. Not all of it, but most of it. Uh, let's see what we have here. As far as the results go, yeah, I thought that was. Eh. I'll yell about that in a minute. Uh, in your main event, Sean Strickland defeated Uriah Hall the unanimous decision, 50-44, 50-45, I was 50-45. The third round could have been a 10-8. Probably should have been. Just going to throw that out there. Probably should have been. Uh, the third round was pretty nuts as far as that goes. Um, what do you want to say about this, man? Uriah Hall just never got going. I don't know if you can hear the pattering of rain, but we've had some pretty intense intermittent storms here where I live over the last few days. So if you if that becomes a bit of a problem for you uh, auditorially, I apologize. Uh, all right, let's. So yeah, Hall never got going, man. He had a de he was starting to come on a little bit at the end of the first round, and then the second was competitive. But after that, man, it just, just got worse and worse for him. Strickland's jab caused him a lot of problems. Uh, his left eye in particular got pretty badly swollen. His right eye was messed up too. Just not, just not quite as badly, but his, his eyes were swollen. Never to the point when they were really in danger of stopping the fight, but enough to be a serious detriment. Uh, and just... Strickland's pace, man. He was patient. He was good about the jab in particular. Both these men landed a lot of jabs. Neither of them kicked a whole lot, which was, a, I think, a bit of a, a bit of a flaw or a fault on the part of Uriah Hall for this fight. Uh, just, he didn't throw a whole lot of them, and he has very powerful kicks. I don't know if this was. I don't know why he didn't. It might have been a specific read. He might have just been very uncomfortable. He might not have had a good feel for the distance. Uh, any number of reasons. It was just a little bit surprising that over the full 25 minutes, I don't think he threw that. He might have, he threw less than 10 over five rounds, which is a very, very low number. But he, anyway, that's where that, uh, he, just, he didn't, they, and just on the feet, man, he just did not have the activity and he couldn't really find Strickland with a lot of the power shots. It, I don't know if it was Strickland's defense that threw him off, something about the footwork. <sighs> you know, Uriah Hall, I think what he ran into here was actually not the same kind of problem he's run into in other fights. In other fights where he doesn't seem to get going, uh, it, they, you might look at them on the, on the face of them and go, oh, this was just another instance of the head case having a problem. And I don't think that, I don't think that's tells the story of this fight. I think if you look at other fights where Uriah Hall has been very flat and very kind of apathetic to what's going on, 
he didn't quite uh I'll say this. It was a lot of that was self inflicted. Might be the right way to say this. It was him in his own head. That wasn't as much the case here. This was a lot more Sean Strickland putting up hurdles for him to overcome. And Hall cleared a few of them, but they just kept piling up. And I I do feel okay saying about Uriah Hall that even at his best, and his best is very, very good, he's a bit of a front runner. He needs to be ahead of things. If he's even-ish, he can still perform. Uh, parts of the Anderson Silva fight, I think. Uh, Silva was doing very well. Uh, what else he done recently? I want to make sure I remember a few of these fights correctly. I mean, I can't... There's nothing to say about the Weidman fight. Um, okay, the, the Christoph Jodko one might be an interesting example. Jodko was very successful in the first round. But Jodko also didn't really kind of put anything on Hall. He won the first round, but he did it through a lot of clinch working and takedowns. And Uriah Hall's mentality never break, doesn't really break when you put him in that position. Uh, if you want to get in, you need to give him hurdles to overcome. And if you happen to get him in the, against the fence and you spend a few minutes there, and maybe you get him down, but you don't do a whole lot with it, and he wall walks back up, and then you break, and then you trade a few punches. Like... That doesn't seem to mess with his head. You can beat him that way. Uh, needs it certainly needs to be that that can be a recipe for success when beat when fighting him. But you're not really gonna get him out of the fight mentally. If you want to get him out of the fight mentally, you have to be putting up roadblocks and or, or hurdles. You know, and I like the hurdle metaphor. You put up hurdles, and he might clear the first couple, but he never quite he never quite clears them the same way. And you just have to keep throwing up more and more and more, and eventually he kind of gives up trying to even clear them at all. Uh, that's what that's kind of what John Howard did. Now, granted, that was back in 2013. Uh, what Robert Whitaker did. Anytime Brunson at uh, Brunson, anytime Hall tried to get into the fight with Whitaker. Whitaker had an answer, and he was always kind of keeping something in Hall's face, keeping him busy, keeping him clinched, keeping him keeping him out of the fight. And by about the second half of the second round or so of that fight, Hall just was tired of trying to jump over the hurdles, and he still tried a bit in the in the in terms of trying to win the fight. He threw stuff in the third round, but he was not there. That's a lot of what Strickland did here. Anytime Hall wanted to close distance, he was eating a jab. Anytime Hall wanted to back up and try to reset, Strickland was in his face. Strickland was punching him the whole time. A lot of headhunting out of Strickland. I was a little surprised, actually. I think some body work would have helped him out a lot here. But Strickland's also, you know, he's collapsing the pocket. He's not giving Hall the space to do stuff. One of the things that a little bit surprised me... Hall would switch southpaw on occasion, uh, which is something he does. Strickland, every time that happened, Strickland actually seemed to freeze up. And 
it was it's not that he did nothing but at that point he anytime they were kind of if if Strickland was rolling along like I let land a combination move around reset keep trying to press forward if if Hall switched southpaw Strickland's kind of momentum would stall out for a bit he'd take a second try to figure out what was coming next uh, what I was a little bit surprised by this because Hall from the southpaw stance it's not that he's not dangerous from it but he's much more predictable from a southpaw stance. He doesn't have the dynamic spinning attacks out of that stance. Or at least he hasn't shown them. Let me preface that. Not shown them. As soon as he switched southpaw, I was kind of su- I know you want to be wary of the right of the right hook at that point because the power hand is forward. But I was a little surprised Strickland didn't kind of just get down behind his lead shoulder or hand fight and then just throw the power right straight down the middle. Get your foot outside and just get, step on the gas. If someone doesn't know how to fight out of what out of the opposite stance, uh, their defense in particular is terrible. Some people might be fairly offensively potent out of both stances. Hall's not as dangerous out of the southpaw as orthodox, but it's still he's he's still no one to be trifled with in that respect. But his defense out of the southpaw stance might not be much of anything. Uh, Strickland just seemed to decide that that was not a wasn't a cal- wasn't a risk worth running, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it just a, a five round drubbing, man. This got worse for Hall the longer it went. There was a point of time, man, when S- Hall was just like they were kind of clinched, and Hall wound up facing the fence with Strickland on his back, and Hall just kind of covered up. I mean, he didn't want to be there. That man did not want to be in that cage anymore. Uh, so kudos to Strickland. Uh, the man, he's on a, what, five fight winning streak now, I think? Double check that. Yeah, five. And some decent names on that. He's undefeated at middleweight. Yeah, ever, actually. He's undefeated at middleweight. Uh, this will probably see him crack into the top ten and should put him up for a Fairly significant fight next. He, I don't know that Strickland ever is going to really factor into the title picture. But that man is a tough out. You look at the guy... I've mentioned this before. He only has three professional losses. All of them at welterweight. And they were to Santiago Ponzinibbio back in 2015 when Ponzi was really kind of streaking up the ranks. In 2017, he lost a unanimous decision to Kamaru Usman, who is, you know, the best welterweight in the world and maybe the best welterweight ever. And then he got knocked out by Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos. Then he had one more fight at welterweight, moved back up to middleweight, and has looked like he's looked since. That man's a tough out for anybody, even if you beat him. He is a tough out. So he's going to be due uh he's going to be do a bigger fight. I don't know who exactly, but He'll be ranked around... He was number 11, I think, coming into this, and Hall was 8. So he's, at a minimum, going to be 10. Bare minimum, 10. And he's... You might be able to beat that guy, but that is not an easy task. At all. As for the rest of the card, we can go a little bit faster through these. Um, Cheyenne Bays defeated Gloria DePaula via TKO head kick and punches one minute of the first round. Uh, Bays scrambled up from the ground 
DePaula tried to hit a technical get-up, but you you got to be real careful with the distance on that, people. Uh, she wasn't, and as she as her hand came up off the ground, Bays kicked her in the face. Then got on top and pounded her out. A solid win for Cheyenne Bays. Uh, she needed that one after the very... Dude, her fight with uh, Montserrat Ruiz, one of the worst fights of the year. That was awful. Uh, she needed the rebound in a big way, and she got it. Uh, let's see, Jared Gordon defeated Nicholas Stolze via t knockout. TKO? I forget which one. I think just a punch. It was one punch. Uh, 108 of the first. Gooden just got his head off the center line. They were both orthodox, so he slipped a little bit to the left, to his left, got a better punching lane, right hand down the pipe, boom, done. Uh, Melsik Bagdasarian defeated Colin England via TKO head kick and punches, 150 of the second. Uh, Bagdasarian has some seriously fast hands and feet. That man has speed. And it was a really nice head kick he had England with. Unfortunately, England just very stiff in the upper body, not moving a whole lot. Opposite stance, just that power, that power leg kick is right there, man. And if you're not moving... Especially if you're not moving. You, you're just a heavy bag at that point. Pagdasarian um, is one of Coach Edmonds, guys. And once again, we have a very naturally gifted fighter who will see some success in the UFC, I have no doubt. But after about three or four fights, there's going to be enough tape on him or he's going to run into someone tough enough to... Stifle him, stop his game plan, and make him have to adjust, and he's probably not going to be able to adjust. Because Coach Edmund is not good about that. And, I mean, look at look at Edmund Shabazian. Shabazian is a naturally gifted fighter, whose success was not at all accidental, but neither neither is his brief, you know, is the, the slump he's in. That's not an accident either. I, that just seems to be the trajectory for a lot of uh, the guys out of Glendale Fight Club. Uh, so I look forward to Bagdasarian winning a few more fights and then getting figured out and never being able to rebound. Uh, Jason Witt defeated Brian Barbarena via majority decision. It was 128-28 draw, 129-27, and 129-28. The 29-27 doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me here. Um... Whew. I'm okay with 28-28. Barbarina getting a 10-8 third. Uh, I can see. I don't think I did that live, but I can see it. This fight was nuts. Brian Barbarina is always in these nutty fights. Whip did okay. He wobbled Barbarina, I think, in the first or second. But he was he was winning through control. And I don't mean that as some kind of pejorative. Because they were both swinging, they were both landing, and then Witt would hit a takedown, get a good position, hold it, land damage, Barbarina would scramble up, and then you just kind of repeat that. And it was it was competitive, but it was all going Witt's way through the first two rounds. I don't know which of the first two. This is why the 29-27 surprises me. Uh, I don't... <sighs> How do you get that, even? You would have, like, you'd almost have to have two 10-8s, right? No. I don't think that would work either. That's real. You almost would. 
Yeah, you would. You'd have to go like a 10-8 for each guy and then a 10-9. I don't know which round Wit got 10-8. I, I don't. I, I have no earthly idea. I don't think he did. I don't think he won either of the rounds by by a wide enough margin. The third round was nuts. Barbarina's down two rounds, and he comes alive. He lands some good punches. Wit gets hurt, which get, Wit gets dropped, but he never stops fighting. He keeps trying to come back. He actually lands on Barbarina a couple of times. Uh, absolutely crazy fight. This was not your fight of the night. Oh yes, it was. Sorry. Uh, this was your fight of the night. Wild fight. Really entertaining affair. If you're only going to look up one fight out of this, look up this one. The third round in particular. Absolutely insane. Uh, good performance from Wit. Good performance Good performance from Barbarina. Uh, this was a heck of a fight. Uh, that was your main card. As for the prelims, Chris Gritzmacher defeated Rafa Garcia via unanimous decision, 29-28. Uh, Garcia... Hurts Gritzmacher with a left hook early in the first, but can't put him away. And then a couple of minutes later, Gritzmacher's in his face. Uh, Gritzmacher's pace, man, it is nuts. He digs the body well. He's just always in your face, always landing punches and elbows. And just kind of wore down and beat up Garcia for the last two rounds. Uh, this would be the other fight I'd recommend looking up. This was a good fight, too. Uh, Kai Kamaka defeated, uh, and Danny Chavez fought to a majority draw. 228-28-129-27. The deciding factor here is Kamaka being deducted a point in round two for a pretty bad eye poke and then a kick in the groin not that long after. I thought they were going to stop this after the eye poke. Uh, Chavez's eyes were closed, and it was a little bit like... We've seen this a couple of times where the eyelid just spasms shut. Um, when uh, when Jeremy Stevens and Yara Rodriguez had their no contest, that's kind of what happened. You know, his eyes wouldn't open. There was somebody else not that long ago. The fight escapes me, but the guy got poked in the eye and his, the muscles just spasmed shut and would not open. Uh, fortunately, Chavez was able... I suppose, fortunately, Chavez was able to get his open a little bit of a, they had a, <clears throat> excuse me, they had a damp towel that he was able to kind of use to help uh, lubricate everything. And that kind of got the eye open again. And I mean, credit to him. Uh, he had a way out if he wanted it. He got back, kept fighting. Uh, I'm okay with the draw. I... I might have been 29-27 for Kamaka. I forget exactly how I scored this live. Uh, then again, I, I, I forget. It wasn't a terribly memorable fight. Uh, they might run that back. They might not. It's hard to say. It sucks for Kamaka, but... Uh, you did that to yourself, buddy. You were winning that fight otherwise. You, know, you screwed yourself there. Women's strawweight Jin Yu Frey defeated Ashley Yoder via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the board. Uh, good win from Frey. She kind of needed this one. Uh, she was just able to find Yoder more consistently. Had her hurt a couple of times. Uh, you know, Frey needed the win. Pretty bad. I mean, she had one fight in the UFC. She'd won one fight in the UFC. Excuse me. But she kind of needed a performance to 
generate a little bit more interest in what she does. And I think she mostly got it here. Uh, Zarek Adeshev defeated Ryan Benoit via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. Um, this was a decent fight. If you want to see how to fight while backing up, this is another fight you could maybe look at. Adeshev did a really good job of jabbing and circling. Benoit just coming forward the whole time, but uh, struggled to... It's not that he never hit him, but he struggled to do so consistently. And Adeshev abused Benoit's left leg. He had some nasty calf kicks. I mean, Benoit spent the entire... Oh, not the entirety of round two, but like three-fourths of round two and then almost all of the third in southpaw just to protect that leg. Uh, so Adeshev, he needed a good performance here. He... Had a less than ideal one. I think he was 0-2 in the UFC coming into this. Yeah, he took his debut. Uh, he took his debut fight on pretty short notice and got knocked out. Then he had a short notice fight with Sumu Darji. So he needed the win pretty badly. And he got it. And with a solid performance. So good for him. Our other fighter who missed weight, Phil Rowe, defeated Orion Kosi via TKO. Just a barrage of punches and elbows and whatnot. Uh, 421 to the second. If Roe can get his weight issues under control, he is a lanky, lanky guy for welterweight. Uh, he's got like 80 inches of reach, I think. Something stupid like that. He had long arms. And he was just able to batter Kosi the longer this went on. Uh, yeah, decent, pretty good finish, actually, the flurry that he hit, so... Kudos to Roe, I guess. Uh, let's see. Your bonuses. Fight of the night was Witten Barbarina. Then Bayes and uh, Bogdasarian both for their head kicks notched uh, performance of the night bonuses. So that's that. If you're interested in my round-by-round -round recap of that, you can find it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Uh, it is there along with... Uh, yeah, sorry, there it is. I, I wanted to double-check that. I don't know why I hadn't seen it posted yet. Uh, yeah, you can find that whole thing right there uh, if you're so inclined. Thank you very much. All right, let us move forward then to UFC uh, on UFC 265. <sighs> I said that last week this card is very good. And for the most part, I agree with that. This last week, however, we lost uh, we lost a couple of fights, I think. No, well, we lost at least one. We lost a big one. The bantamweight title fight between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena was pulled. Nunes tested positive for COVID-19. Apparently, that just came through her, her family. Uh, her wife, Nina, and their kid. They all tested positive and apparently got pretty sick. I think they said like a week later they tested negative. So it does not seem to have been lingering at the moment, but I don't, know how much, I don't know how much you want to believe what fighters say about their own health. They are notorious liars. But hopefully it's not serious. So just throwing that out there. They're going to try to reschedule that in all probability. So we lost that. We lost the only real title fight on this card. But we still have in your main event for the interim heavyweight title... Ugh. Look, the fight itself is fine. There's no reason for this to be an interim title other than the UFC trying to milk a few other 
I don't even know if they I don't even know that that actually meaningfully will contribute to the buy rate in this case. The UFC might. I've said this before. If they have data that says an interim title fight versus a non-title fight of any variety on average bumps you up another 50,000 buys per event, then of course you're going to do it. Interim titles in the UFC mean nothing. Uh, I've said that before. That's not That shouldn't be a surprise take. They hand them out like candy and they take them away just as easily for no reason. I mean, they... Uh, Khabib fought two interim champions. Both Justin Poirier and Justin Gagey were interim champions when they fought him for the real title. Both of those gentlemen got title fights because Khabib, he wasn't even injured. It was like, yeah, it's the middle of Ramadan. And Khabib's not going to fight during Ramadan because, well, why would you do that to yourself? For those, unfamil- uh, for those unfamiliar with what Ramadan is, uh, during that particular month, it's usually a month or thereabouts, uh, devout, especially devout Muslims, will not eat during the day. They fast from sun up to sundown, and then they just eat. So you eat and drink in the evening. Uh, it's mostly eating. I think. I think. I think drinking is allowed during the day. Water, of course, not anything else, because you know, devout and observant Muslims don't consume alcohol anyway. And as a uh, observant and practicing member of a faith personally, that does not allow the consumption of alcohol. I certainly respect it. I have no issue with it. Uh, but it's a, you're not going to go through a fight camp like that. Not when you're doing that to yourself. It's just not feasible. Much less have a fight. So point being, it was just, Khabib wasn't quite available, but he wasn't injured, so they just threw interim belts at things. and just, They're doing that here at heavyweight for, again, there's no reason. Francis Ngannou is not hurt, to the best of my knowledge. He's... Probably going to fight in, what, uh, we're in August. I think he said he was going to fight sometime in, like, late September or October. I'd have to double-check, but like that's, that's... He told everyone that's when I'm going to be available. And the UFC's just, yeah, sure, interim belt for Derek Lewis and Cyril gone, so... The fight itself is not a bad fight. Much as I don't like Derek Lewis fight, uh, I have to say this because I have to say this every time Derek Lewis fights. Most of Derek Lewis's fights are not all that entertaining. Most of them are boring for the vast majority of the fight. Then he scores some memorable finish and everyone remembers the finish. If you disagree with me, Feel free to watch his fight with Marcin Tabora. Watch his fight with Shamil Abdurahimov. Watch his fight with Dalir Latifi, which is just ass from start to finish. Watch his fight with Blagoy Ivanov. For the record, I thought both Latifi and Ivanov should have won those fights. Uh, he, I mean, his fight with Fra- his first fight with Francis Ngannou was one of the worst fights I've ever seen especially at the UFC level, especially from two guys who were supposed to be, like, title contenders. That was that was Ngannou's first fight after losing to Stipe the first time. 
It's a terrible fight. Uh, he, he, again, he just doesn't, if he doesn't knock you out early in the first, you get a crappy fight that either ends with a memorable finish or goes the distance and then he says this was a terrible performance, says something kind of funny and endearing and everyone tries to forget that it happened because you want to like Derek Lewis. Which is fine if you're a fan of his. I'm not trying to shame anyone for it. But he, most of his fights, most of the time, are not all that interesting. He's fought five... I don't think he's ever been the full five rounds. He's fought long before. His fight with the... The aforementioned fight with Abdurakhimov went into the fourth, where he... Abdurakhimov won the first three rounds convincingly and then just gassed himself out by the fourth. Uh, and when Mark Hunt beat him, and boy did Mark Hunt beat him, uh, that was in the fourth round of their fight. I'm not trying to insult Derek Lewis here by any stretch of the imagination. But the man's most recent losses are to Mark Hunt in 2017 when Hunt kind of had one foot out the door. He lost his title fight with Daniel Cormier in a total... That was not competitive. That was a non-competitive fight. Cormier beat the brakes off of him and then submitted him in the second round. That was not a close fight. And then he got stopped by Junior Dos Santos in 2019. He's the last... I believe he's the last win that Dos Santos has. Yeah, he is, actually. After that, he... uh, JDS went on to fight Francis, Curtis Blades, Rosenstrike, and Ghana was finished by all of them. But he stopped Derek Lewis non-controversially and without a whole lot of difficulty. Uh, on the other side, we have Cyril Gone, who is... I don't... Candidly, guys, I don't have a good read on Gone. He's had a couple of five-round fights now. One of them... The fight with Rosenstrike wasn't terribly interesting. It just wasn't a very good fight. The Volkov fight was interesting by contrast, but... I'm going to say but here. I... I just don't have a handle on the guy. He's got cardio. He's fought five rounds twice and did not seem to fatigue. The counterpoint to that, and it's a fair one, those were not high-paced affairs. That said, Derek Lewis is not known for high-paced uh, high paced fights either, so take that for whatever that's worth. He's really good about applying pressure, about harassing you, and about inducing a bad counterattack. He's a little bit... Because he comes, from, he comes from a bit of a... Not just a Muay Thai background, but a little bit of a karate background as well. He doesn't... I don't want to say he fights like Wonder Boy... Uh, I think there's some very key differences, especially how they use their lead leg. Uh, but that, that'll that give you a little bit of an idea. Uh, maybe Robert Whitaker's a slightly better comparison. He doesn't have Whitaker's jab by any stretch of the imagination, but you don't get a lot of heavyweights who fight like, who fight like he does. He's light on his feet, pretty consistently. He's good about pressure. He's good about picking at you and scoring and annoying you and then countering when you make mistakes. And if you're too lazy, he's happy to he's happy to take the offensive foot. If you try to he's happy to I shouldn't say he's happy, but if you try to wrestle him, 
He's willing to wrestle with you. He's just a really hard guy to figure out. I don't know that he's going to be the guy to beat Francis at this point. But I actually feel okay picking him here. I'm not going to be surprised if Derek Lewis knocks him out. Between Lewis... Part of the reason... There's the old phrase, which this is a little bit awkward. Because it seems uh, unfairly symmetrical. But the old adage is you box a brawler and you brawl a boxer. The point there in that particular bit of truism is that whatever your opponent is used to dealing with, you wish to do the opposite. Well, the opposite might be a stretch, but you want to do things that take them out of their patterns. If you're fighting someone who's a slick boxer and you can't outbox them, you have to make it ugly. Now, you might still lose because you don't brawl that way for a reason. You don't brawl that way because of all the technical holes it leaves. But you can catch slick boxers with awkward punches because they're not used to them. There's all kinds of examples of this throughout boxing history. Perhaps most famously, uh, the couple of fights between Ezard Charles and then heavyweight champion Rocky Marciano. The punches that Marciano lands to finish Ezard, especially I think in their second fight... Ezard is a very slick boxer, even a little bit later into his career as he was there. Very slick boxer. Uh, him and Jersey Joe Walcott, too, who uh, who Marciano knocked out. Same, ironically enough, the punch that Marciano knocked out Walcott with was a technical thing of beauty. But you get a little bit of, but you get the point. A slick boxer is not expecting certain things, like punching all the way back across your torso, which is one of the things that Marciano caught him with. And the reverse is true. If, you've, if you're fighting a brawler, especially, in, especially a sloppy one, then there's a lot of very smooth technical application that can be done to make their nights difficult. Here we have that same kind of dichotomy in very, very stark contrast. Derek Lewis is not a technical fighter. That doesn't mean he doesn't know how to fight. The man trains his butt off. He's lost a lot of weight recently, I, I'm, but he is not a technician. He's a slugger. And a bit of a wild one at that, especially when you start backing him up and he gets desperate. He just swings from, the, from his hip. That guy swings from you know, the, his heel sometimes. And tries to just knock you out cold. And if you're not on your... And he's a good enough fighter. That if you're not minding your P's and Q's. He will do it. On the other hand. You have... Gone might be the slickest technician. That the heavyweight division has at the moment. Now. Stipe is... Stipe is a more well-rounded fighter than Gone. But Stipe is a bit more of a mechanic than a... A, me a mechanical technician than a slick technician, if you catch the distinction. Which is just a just a style choice on the part of both men. Uh, and, and they fight very differently, too, when you get down into the nuts and bolts of it, but Gon might be that, that just really smooth technician, so... And you just beat Volkov, who's a great technician in his own right. I, I am unsure how this one's going to go in that respect, but that's pretty clearly the dichotomy we have. Who can who can use their skill set to off balance and make their and then consequently make their opponent more uncomfortable? 
I'm actually leaning, like I said, I'm leaning gone, but I'm not going to be surprised if Lewis wins. Uh, but I feel okay. I feel pretty comfortable leaning towards gone. Uh, the man is, he is a puzzle and a half that no one has figured out yet. And that's not nothing. All right. Co-main event. Again, this was supposed to be Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. Now, bantamweight fight, Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz. Heck yes. Uh, another great fight, man. That is a great fight. You've got Jose Aldo, one of the best of all time. Uh, unfortunately, he finally got his first win at bantamweight. Dropped the split decision to Marais that I agree he lost. Others don't, but... The scoring on that fight is, by the nature of the fight and the 10-point must-scoring system, scoring that either way is perfectly acceptable. Uh, then he you know, kind of got run over by Peter. I shouldn't say kind of got run over. I think it was the second round. Aldo had a good second round in that fight. There was one of the rounds. I think he won one of them. I forget exactly how the scorecards had come around. At the time of, uh, by the time it was over. But Jan, just, you know, being Piotr Jan, broke him down and finished him. Bounced back, beat Marlon Vera, fairly, fairly decisive. Uh, it was a decision, but it wasn't. That wasn't a close decision. It was, it was 29-28, but it was a clear 29-28. It was clear round one for Aldo, clear two for Vera, clear three for Aldo. Like that. No, no, no controversy over the scoring. How was he going to line up with Pedro Munoz? That's a... Pr Look, I thought Munoz, full disclosure, when Munoz fought Frankie Edgar in August of 2020, I thought Munoz should have won that fight. Uh, I scored it for him. I scored it for him when I watched it a second time. He beat Jimmy Rivera's last time out. Munoz is a... He's a bit of a gunslinger, man. He's got good kicks. Uh... Likes to likes to brawl. Good guillotine. I don't think he'll guillotine Jose Aldo. I don't think Jose Aldo's ever... I wouldn't say ever been submitted. I think he lost... Like, I think his first professional loss was submission. Yeah. But never again. And that was his, that was more fatigue than pure technique. Uh, Aldo's jiu-jitsu is perpetually slept on. Uh, the man won... The world's at the brown belt level, and doing so beat one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners of his era, a fellow by the who goes by the name of Cobrino. And Aldo beat him. Uh, Aldo's jiu-jitsu is pretty sick. Uh, I'm going to pick Aldo here. I, I won't be shocked if Munoz wins, but I think Munoz is a little bit slower and I think he's a step behind technically. If Aldo just is still Jose Aldo, that's a very winnable fight for him. Let's see, welterweight, Mich uh, Michael Chiesa. Sorry, I almost looked further down the card. And Vicente Luque. This is another really good fight. Uh, Chiesa at welterweight, I don't think he's lost yet. No. Uh, has he ever lost at welterweight? No, he's never lost. He hasn't had too many fights at welterweight. The majority of his career has been, a, but man, he's a big welterweight. Uh, he's on a good winning streak, actually. Submitted Carlos Condit. Let's see. 
beat Sanchez, beat Rafael dos Anjos, beat Neil Magny. The Magny fight over five rounds. Uh, whereas Luque, Luque might be slipping a bit. No, he choked out, yeah, he choked out Tyron Woodley. Am I thinking of the slipping? Oh, uh, Zaleski. And Ponzinibbio a little bit. Man, the trio of Vicente Luque, Elizabeth Zaleski dos Santos, and Santiago Ponzinibbio is one of the most underappreciated and underranked trio of fighters in welterweight history. Those three were, I mean, all around the same time, very good. And they just never, never really got the main event push. Uh, Luke, I mean, Luke's only lost three times in the UFC. Uh, one of those is debut fight, then lost to Leon Edwards, then lost to Stephen Thompson. Not in total, but there's a, he's had long winning streaks along the way. He's on a three-fight winning streak now. Had the doctor stoppage win over Nico Price, knocked out Randy Brown, uh, submitted Tyron Woodley. The man's a dangerous, dangerous welterweight. <sighs> How do I think? This is a tough. This is the toughest fight actually on the main card to pick. I think. Kies is really good about hanging on you, about getting close, about dragging you down, about wearing you out. Luke can wrestle, but he's more of a striker. Luke has good jujitsu, but the wrestling's been a bit of a weakness for him. I'm gonna lean towards Kiesa, but that's a really good fight. Up next, a fight between Angela Hill and Tisha Torres. This fight got promoted after uh, Pena and Nunes fell out. This is not the fight from the prelims I would have bumped to the main card. I would have bumped up Bobby Green and Rafael Fiziev, but that's just me. The UFC likes Angela Hill, and it's not hard to see why. Her fights are more... Say, they're more entertaining than they are not entertaining as a general rule. And that's not just like fight to fight. That's actually just minute to minute, give or take. And she doesn't really have the most... She doesn't really have a lot of boring fights. She's a very kind of enthusiastic personality. She's a pretty good talking head for how much value you want to put on the people who do the analyst desk stuff. She's pretty good at it. And they don't give those jobs to just... Contrary to popular belief... They don't give those to just anybody. You have to not only know what you're talking about, you have to be able to convey it at, uh, in an intelligent, articulate manner. And she's a perfectly good talking head. Uh, I think the UFC just wishes she was a better fighter. <laughs> I don't... I, I, I'm okay picking Hill here. Uh, Torres recently broke a four-fight losing streak. Uh, she's won her last two. But I, I don't know. I feel like she hasn't really evolved with the times. Uh, whereas Hill, coming off a win over Yoder, she dropped two split decisions before that. I didn't have a problem with her losing those fights. Of course she did. For understandable reasons. No one wants to lose a fight. But Hill's cardio is just still kind of an issue. She got outworked in the third round by Claudia Gedalia. And if that's happening, you got a cardio problem. But I, I don't have any problem picking Hill here. And kicking everything off at bantamweight, Casey Kenny will fight Song Yadong. Uh, Kenny coming off of the loss to Dominic Cruz, I, I'm still baffled that was a split decision. That should have been Cruz. Like, 
Kenny performed admirably, but the scoring of that should not have been controversial. Uh, whereas Song, coming off of his first loss in the UFC, I'm okay picking Kenny here. But that that's another tough one, actually. That, that could be a really good fight. And I'm going to lean Kenny for whatever that's worth. Right, that's your main card. Prelims. Bobby Green and Rafael Fiziev. That's probably going to be really interesting as a fight. Um, Fiziev, I feel okay picking that. Bobby Green's a mostly entertaining fighter, but I he struggles at this level a little bit. And Fiziev, he's one of the... Isn't he like one of the striking coaches at uh, Tiger Muay Thai, I want to say? Um... I think he is. And he's, you know, uh, he lost once, his, lost in his UFC debut against Magomed Mustafaev, who's uh, a really tough customer at that at lightweight. Um. But since then, beat Alex White, beat Mark Chikese, knocked out Hanato Moicano. Uh, a very, very slick technical fighter. I, I'm picking Fiziev here. Let's see, Bantamweight Vince Morales and Draco Rodriguez. Feel okay picking Morales here. I, I, he's on a bit of a losing streak, but boy, he has not had. He's 1 and 3 in the UFC. And boy, Chris Gutierrez stopped him with leg kicks. I still feel okay picking him over Rodriguez, but he needs a win. God help us. Ed Herman is fighting. He'll be fighting Alonzo Menafield. I can't pick Ed Herman to win in 2021. I just can't do it. That said, he's on a three-fight winning streak. Now, one of those is over Patrick Cummins, but I don't think he's with the UFC anymore. One is over Hadris Ibrahimov, who I don't think is with the UFC anymore. And Mike Rodriguez, in a fight Rodriguez should have won because he beat the crap out of Herman and then somehow got Miracle Kimura in the third round. Uh, but Alonzo Menafield is... Menafield's actually... A, he's a pretty legitimate uh, talent on the way up. He's got two losses in the UFC, out-wrestled by Devin Clark, and then just kind of walked into a punch from Ovin St. Pru. But I, I feel... I feel very good picking Menafield. Let's see, women's strawweight, Carolina Kovalkiewicz and Jessica Penne. Last time, Penne uh, won a split decision in her last fight, but she was out for a long time, but she got screwed by USADA, which needs to be said. Um, I don't recall thinking she won that fight, but I might be mistaken. Kovalkiewicz hasn't been... Yeah, she's been out for over a year. She last fought in February of 2020. She's on a four-fight losing streak. I'm still going to pick Kovalkiewicz, but that's kind of do or die for her. And then the early prelims, flyweight Manel Cape and Ode Osborne, or is it Cape? Cop? I forget how he likes it pronounced. Um, I have a thing about that. I'm going with Cop, whatever. I'll pick with, uh, I meant pronunciation. I am also going to pick him, but he needs a win. I, I kind of thought he got a little bit hosed in his last fight, but he also made it easier for the judges to screw him than he should have. Bantamweight, Miles Johns and Anderson Dos Santos. I picked Johns. I feel okay about that. 
Now, they were supposed to fight earlier. They got rescheduled for this one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Johns. And then women's flyweight, Victoria Leonardo and Melissa, uh, excuse me, Melissa Gatto. Uh, Leonardo had a... She got head kicked by Manon Foyo. I, I, I remember that. She got run over. That was a rough... Uh, Foyo is a beast, man. That woman... I'm not saying she's a perfect fighter and she's going to run into some competition at some point that's going to trouble her, but that woman is... She's a rough one. Uh, I'll pick Leonardo here, but again, the, you got two people here who are still like less than three fights combined in the UFC, so. And then kicking everything off, Johnny Munoz and Jamie Simmons. Probably go with Munoz there, but yeah. Are they both? I think they're both making their debuts. Let me confirm that real quick. Uh... Their names are not familiar. If anyone has, I think it would be... I think Munoz, if any, if either of them has. I think Munoz lost his UFC debut now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Lost to Nate Manis in about a year ago, actually. Exactly a year ago as of this recording, so... Uh, Simmons, on the other hand... No, he fought in the UFC, too. He got that wild hair. So again, about November of 2020. Oh yeah, Giga Chikadze did a number on him. I vaguely, I recall Giga's performance, not so much, not quite so much uh, Simmons. Hmm. I'll go with Munoz, but again, who knows? And that's the card. So this Saturday, come by the MMAZona411Mania.com, and I will have live coverage of that. All right, let's move on. I'm, couple of quick thoughts about Bellator out of the way because Bellator had the finale of their featherweight Grand Prix last night. Fortunately, the UFC event ended in time for me to catch the co-main and the main event uh, live. Uh, catch a couple of highlights too. Khabib Nurmagomedov's team had a good night at that event. Uh, his boys went 3-0. and Including his cousin Usman Nurmagomedov who had a really nice uh, it was a clinch situation. Had a really nice knee to the liver that just locked his opponent up. Uh, really well timed and placed. Uh, Mads Burnell defeated uh, em Emmanuel Sanchez via a split decision. And boy, commentary, man! On that fight in particular, they were they were going hard on uh, on old Emmanuel. Uh, they were Uh, they were all over that guy. They really wanted him to win. That was, uh, I mean, to his credit, he kept an, an insane pace, but I scored it for Brunel as I was watching it live. Then in your main event, you have the Bellator two-weight champion, uh, Patricio Pitbull Freire. He's the four, uh, featherweight and lightweight champion. Defending his title in the finale of the Grand Prix against undefeated and uh, not Antonio McKee, AJ McKee, Antonio McKee. Have a think about that in a second. Uh, AJ McKee undefeated, coming into this fight, and you had, look, this has been said by others. I'm going to echo it because I think it's true. Patricio Pitbull is the best fighter in Bellator history. If you look at his success in that organization long-term across multiple weight classes and the people he's beaten along the way, 
He's the best guy they produced. Now, he's certainly... Yeah, better way to say this. He is certainly the best fighter in Bellator right now. If we're talking pound for pound as a general rule. And he is certainly arguably the best they've ever produced. Now, you have, uh, Bellator produced a couple of other talented lightweights. Eddie Alvarez went on to win the UFC welter, uh, lightweight title, but uh, got it on, fluke's the wrong word, but got it in a fashion that I'm not sure would be repeatable. So a little bit, uh, but you know, won it fair and square. Then just lost it in his first title defense to Connor. And then Michael Chandler, who competed for the UFC lightweight title and might very well again. I certainly don't mean to pretend that Chandler's uh, title aspirations in the UFC are dead and gone. They are most certainly not. But Patricio's beaten really, really good guys for a really long period of time and did so across two weight classes, including knocking out Chandler. I want to double check because I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, I mean, if you just look at the run he's been on. I mean, if you look at his... Well, he's been in the U.S. He's been in Bellator forever. He debuted for them in 2010. Uh, he's beat you know, Georgi Karakanyan, who's a guy a lot of people forget is good, especially in 2011 when they fought. He was really good. Uh, beat Daniel Strauss. Had a real tough five-round fight with Pat Curran that you could argue he won. Went on a long winning streak. Including wins over, uh, again, avenging the fight with Pat Curran. Uh, submitting Daniel Strauss. Knocking out Daniel Veitchel. Losing to Daniel Strauss again. Beating Henry Corrales. Had the weird leg injury against Benson Henderson. Uh, then went back on a winning streak. Beating Strauss, Veitchel, Emmanuel Sanchez. Mike, knocked out Michael Chandler. Beat Juan Archuleta, who's now the... Uh, he's not anymore, actually. Sergio Pettis is now the, bell, uh, the bantamweight champion. Uh, knocked out Pedro Carvalho. Uh, beat Sanchez again. Pitbull's really good. He's beaten the best guys Bellator has offered. And then he fights A.J. McKee, and the undefeated A.J. McKee beats him in the first round in less than two minutes. Uh, they had a bit of a feeling out process, and then McKee just caught him with a head kick. That, oh man, it dropped him. He thought it was he, it hurt him. He landed an uppercut, and Pitbull dropped, and he kind of started walking away. But it uh, the ref didn't stop it, and Pitbull was still kind of there. Pitbull scrambles up, so McKee grabs a standing guillotine and just cranks that sucker until the ref. It, Pitbull doesn't quite go completely unconscious, but everything starts going limp when the ref waves it off. So in the moment, Pitbull was a little bit unhappy with the stoppage. He said in the post-fight presser after watching it back, he was okay with it. Uh, and kudos to him for taking the loss like a champ. I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to do. But AJ McKee, man, his run through this tournament, he stopped... Georgi Karakanyan, submitted Derek Campos, submitted Darian Caldwell. This is erroneously listed as a neck crank. He used a slightly modified version of uh, what Eddie Bravo calls the 100%. It's a shoulder lock, not a neck crank. 
And then here, technical submission over Pitbull. That... AJ McKee is a really special fighter. I don't know how far he's going to... Big thing that came out of this after the fact, he said he wants a rematch with Pitbull at 155 for the lightweight title, which, again, as mentioned, Pitbull also holds at the moment. Seems like that's a very real possibility. Uh, I don't know that I would pick him... I don't think he can repeat this performance, but I would pick him in a rematch for whatever that's worth. Uh, one thing I want to mention, AJ McKee is the son of a fighter who's a retired fighter. Some of you might remember the name of Antonio McKee. For those of you who weren't around when Antonio McKee was a fighter, uh, Antonio McKee, currently 51. He retired in... Jeez, he retired only recently. Um, he retired in 14. He came out of retirement to fight on Bellator 228 so he could compete on the same card as his son. But he's mostly... He's retired. The man's 51 at this point. He's retired. I remember Antonio McKee. Antonio McKee spent a lot of time on a lot of regional scenes. Uh, if you look at his career history, there's a lot of time spent on you know, places like King of the Cage. Uh, where else? Uh, the IFC, when that was a thing. He was part of the IFL and was uh, undefeated in the IFL. He fought for MFC several times, fought in Dream once, World Series of Fighting once. Like, the guy's been around. And I watched enough of his fights to under to know exactly where the following things comes from. If you weren't around in, you know, that 2004 to 2011-ish uh, you know, period of time when Antonio McKee was around, he was known as the most boring fighter in the sport. Bear in mind, this is a time when John Fitch is still active. I think Fitch gets a little bit unfairly maligned, but if you've ever seen some of the less inspiring John Fitch performances, understand, people were comparing him to Fitch and saying they'd rather watch a John Fitch fight than an Antonio McKee fight. If you look at the laundry list of his career, the vast majority of his wins are by decision. A lot of his losses, too, by decision. He didn't get stopped a whole lot. He fought an extremely risk-averse and damage-averse style. And it's... Uh, he's... He's just... Uh, he was just one of those guys. He had one fight in the UFC. Um... Yeah, he signed a four-fight deal with them, then lost a split decision to Jacob Volkman, and then was cut. Uh, which was very nearly Volkman's last fight in the UFC, too. So, all that is to say, a man universally recognized as one of the least compelling watches as a fighter. His son is the exact opposite. A.J. McKee 
has a penchant for the spectacular and the dramatic in ways that are unique, uh, not completely unique, but are extremely rare. Uh, McKee's entire career has been fought in Bellator. And some of his fights were the kind of, you know, the kind of ham and eggers that you put in there with a rising prospect. Some of them were quite good, were quite good fighters. Uh, Justin Lawrence, who he beat in 2018, is not a slouch. Uh, Lawrence had a couple of fights in the UFC. Uh, as a winning record in Bellator. Then Pat Curran, if certainly no one slouch. McKee at this point is... I'm not calling him the best featherweight in the world. But I think you would be remiss to pretend that because he fights in Bellator, that man would is not one of the best in the world. I don't know where he falls exactly. I don't know how he would... After the fight, he was, said one of his dream fights is with Max Holloway, and it'll never happen. Well, not at the moment. But I wish it would, man. I wish the UFC would let Max have one fight with uh, with Pitbull. They're not Pitbull, but with AJ. Uh, be a heck of a fight. My inclination in that fight is Holloway because because it's Max Holloway. I don't <laughs> don't have to elaborate on that. But that's a lot more compelling of a fight than you might think at first glance. I would favor Volkanovski to beat him, but that's mostly. I don't think Volkanovski's style gets the credit it deserves for just how hard it is to beat that guy. Not every win of his is flashy, but you want to beat that guy, that is... You're Sisyphus pushing that boulder up the hill, man. That's what you are when you're, when you're fi- trying to fight, uh, trying to beat Alexander Volkov, or Vol- trying to beat Volkanovski. He might not be the flashiest, but he's physical, he's strong, he's technical, he's tactical. And he is great about winning rounds, he's great about frustrating you, he's great about landing damaging shots. And before you know it, you're down a bunch of rounds. And even if you win the first two rounds, as we've seen in his second fight with Holloway, the man has championship grit and will just keep fighting. So I think that's a matchup matchup more than anything, but I think you could slot AJ McKee right now into the UFC's featherweight division, and he would certainly be a title player. He's a he is an exceptional fighter, and just wanted to make sure that got the attention it deserved. Because I look, I make jokes at Bellator's expense all the time, and will in the future. But when they get it right. They get it right. When they have good fights, they deserve to be acknowledged. And they have... Bellator doesn't have a doesn't have the same depth of talent that the UFC does. But Bellator has... They tend to have, what, three? They tend to have three or so of the top ten guys in the world in each weight class. Maybe not in each weight class. In the big weight classes, so, you know, lightweight, featherweight, bantamweight. Bantamweight's a little bit iffy at the moment, but certainly lightweight and featherweight at the moment. They have a couple of the best guys in the world. They don't have the same supporting roster that, again, the UFC does. But you'd be remiss to completely overlook uh, some of the roster, that some of the people on the roster at Bellator. 
uh, Bellator has talented fighters. Now, if you don't think uh, Vadim Nemkov is a top-notch fighter, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, even Ryan Bader, many jokes as I make at Ryan Bader's expense. Is he one of the best? If you were to put Ryan Bader in the UFC right now and have him fight Jan Blahovich, I would lean Blahovich just a little bit. But I've mentioned this before. The UFC, especially at 205, they kicked all the wrestlers out. Uh, and that's... I would not be surprised if Bader were able to beat Blahovich if they were to fight. Uh, heavyweight? Eh. Him beating Francis seems like a much taller mountain to climb, but... Uh, yeah, he'd certainly be a top heavyweight. I'd pick him... I might pick him to beat Derek Lewis. Might. I have to think about that. But point being... There's a couple of guys in every division at Bellator that are worth paying attention to, and AJ McKee is someone you should be paying attention to, for whatever my opinion on the matter is worth. Right. Let's move on. Last couple of things here. I think it's the last thing that I have listed at the moment. Uh, okay, UFC has made some fight announcements. UFC 268 in particular. I believe this is going to be their November card. I want to double-check that. Uh, yeah, November 6th. Currently scheduled to take place in New York City, so presumably Madison Square Garden, but... Well, we'll just have to see what the state of the world has to say about that at the moment. Uh, it's got a couple of fights, a couple of good fights. Your main event is set to be a rematch for the welterweight title between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. I leaned Usman in their first fight. I lean a little bit heavier towards Usman this time. Now... I still think Covington is probably the toughest matchup for Usman at welterweight. I might be wrong about that. But thus far, he's been easily, I think, the toughest fight of Usman's UFC run. Burns had momentary success in the first, but then got finished badly. If you don't remember going into the fifth round of the first fight between Usman and Covington, which was a lot of people thought that was the fight of the year. I didn't. Uh, I still don't. But it was certainly an action fight. Those two just kind of hit each other in the face a lot. Uh, some nasty body kicks went along in that fight, too. So if you haven't seen the fight, feel free to watch it. You will not be bored. Uh, in all probability, at least. It didn't speak to me. It was a little bit it was a little bit sloppy, a little bit repetitive for my taste, but that is my taste. But the the scorecards going into that fight that fifth round were all over the place. One judge was 2-2, one was 3-1 Usman, one was 3-1 Covington. I think I was 2-2. Two and two. Uh, it was a wild fight. And then of course uh Usman got the finish in the fifth. Usman now, we have certainly seen more of Usman since that fight than we have of Covington. I think the only fight we've seen from Covington since then was the Tyron Woodley fight, which, to be fair, he finished Tyron. Tyron got injured, but Usman's the one who did the injuring, so... Uh, Usman, but Covington's the one who did the injuring, so... However you want to try and parse that. I just... There's not a welterweight on the planet right now that I picked to beat Kamaru Usman. There just isn't. Uh, 
he was really dangerous in his run up to the belt. When I say dangerous, I don't mean he was finishing people. He had heavy hands, but he wasn't really able to connect. He was just a guy you couldn't beat. I mean, no one did. No one even got close. He was a, as soon as he got close, he was physically strong, had a great clinch, excelled at finding a control position that even positions I, I actually have a, uh, an old like deep dive I did on Coving, on Usman. It would be outdated now in some respects, but I mentioned this there positions that are supposed to be 50, 50 against Kamaru Usman. They're not 50, 50. He's winning. He'd get to an over-under position on the clinch with Tyron Woodley, and this is theoretically an even position. Nope. Usman's the one in control. Usman's the one dealing the damage. Usman's the one who's able to transition. Like A position that you think is equal against him is not equal. You have to be clearly ahead positionally to deal with him, if we're talking just the wrestling and the grappling. Good takedowns. He doesn't have a double. His knees are too messed up, I think. He's, he's talked about that. But he's he's got great takedowns from the body lock. Uh, smothering top control. Then he started working a little bit with Trevor Whitman. And Trevor Whitman got him to work his jab. Got him sitting on his punches. Got him a few setups. And his natural power has been shining through ever since. If, this might seem like heresy, but if Kamaru Usman beats Covington again and then beats Leon Edwards, just for want of a better explanation, beats the next contender, he might have surpassed George St. Pierre as the best welterweight the UFC's ever seen. He won't have the same record of achievement as champion that George did. But at that point, he will have a lot. He's already got the longest winning streak in the division's history. If he gets a couple more title defenses, I think he might have done. I think he might have done it. Now, that's still now I might still think rank George above him as an all-time great because George, you know, won the middleweight title, but Usman pay attention Kamar Usman is very rapidly becoming one of the one of the all-time special fighters. And I think Covington might be the last chance someone has to beat that guy. Leon Edwards is a talented fighter. Unfortunately for Edwards, most of his style relies on half positions that he can control. uh, Landing elbows on the break from a clinch. And doing, doing good work on the feet, but more doing just enough. Edwards is great about kind of removing your weapons and just scoring enough to win. And that's a that is a difficult skill and he deserves all the credit in the world for having it. I have a really really hard time seeing that style beating Kamaru Usman. Now, maybe Edwards has something else for a potential fight with Usman that we haven't seen yet. Who knows? But I I do tend to think that if Covington can't get it done here, I don't know who does. Now, someone will at some point, or Usman will retire. That's how that always goes. But, yeah, that's that's a heck of a... Their first fight was... Most people enjoyed it. I freely admit, I am one of the, ver, I am one of the few that was not 
all that engaged in that fight. Plenty of other people really were engrossed. I lean Usman as I think about this now. I'll think about it some more by the time the fight comes around, but that's your main event. Also announced for that fight, a three-round fight. I wish this fight were five rounds. A lightweight fight between contenders Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje. Someone is going to die. Oh, that's a great fight. As I think about it now, I lean Gagey a little bit. But Chandler's heavy-handed. And if Chandler... If he doesn't feel the striking's going his way, he'll wrestle you. And how that how Gagey will deal with that remains to be seen if it comes to that. Uh, you got two heavy-handed guys, two guys who do not... Who do not at all shrink from the fight. Two men who are at home in the violence and the chaos. I think Gage's chin is a little bit better, too. That's kind of why I'm leaning to his way, I think. But certainly a great fight. Uh, I only wish that fight were five rounds. I really, really wish that fight were five rounds. Other than that, who could possibly complain about those two and the hurricane of violence that will follow in their wake? Uh, Alright, I think that's everything. Let me check Twitter real fast and see if anything's broken. If not, we shall go into plugs. Alright, nope. So, um, what do we got for plugs this week? Uh, Last week, I was part of a comic strip for the comic book Sandcastles and its adaptation, the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old, which won the weekend. That is myself, Alexis Haina, and Jason Teasley. We do a compare and... We talk about the book, we talk about the movie, we do a little compare and contrast. Uh, we have a lot of f- we have some fun with that, so give that a listen. It is in the if you uh, follow the W2M network on your podcasting platform of choice, or just search up Comic Stripped. Uh, that should be what comes up. If not, well, I'm sure you'll have I'm sure you'll find something fun with <laughs> with a title like that if you get into your search history. So we let's see, there was that that was last Thursday. Um, well, this Thursday is. What is with this calendar? It's a little bit awkward. Yeah, so you can find that uh, this week. Tuesday, at uh, an earlier time, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for the Disney, the latest Disney Pictures release. Jungle Cruise, starring everyone's favorite movie star, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. He and Emily Blunt are in Jungle Cruise. Uh, Mark and I will be talking about it. I think Alexis will be there as well. I have not seen the movie yet. I will, of course, see it before we review it. That's the only ethical way to review a movie, for the most part. There's a couple of movies that it's probably not necessary for, but I would. But that's how I'm going to conduct my business as far as that goes. So be on the lookout for that on Tuesday. Um, uh, Suicide Squad is the week after. So we have so there's that. There will be a damn you Hollywood for Snake Eyes, the GI Joe movie that cratered. That will not feature me. I will, thankfully, not a part of that one. That would have been bad. That will be Mark Radlich and Jason Teasley. Uh, there is a re-airing of our on Thursday. There will be a re-airing of the Suicide Squad damn you Hollywood movie review. So check that out if you're interested. That of course to coincide with the release of James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie. That will be reviewed not Tuesday the 3rd, but Tuesday the 10th. So, be on the lookout for that. That should be, 
but some of the stuff is listed twice here, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, also in the future, what else do we have coming up this month? Damn you, Hollywood for free guy. Not featuring me, but I'm going to pimp it anyway. A TV party for Loki, the uh, Disney Plus series that I will be a part of. Uh, there will be a TV party for the anime series Food Wars <laughs> on the 24th. And then the new Candyman on the 31st. Uh, I will be part of the TV party uh, for Food Wars and then the and the, uh, Candyman, of course. Uh, we'll be re-airing The Long Road to Ruin 2-parter that Sean Comer and I did on the Hellraiser franchise later in the month. And... Yeah, a lot of re-airs coming up this month, but some new stuff as well, so be on the lookout for that. All of my other podcasting endeavors can be found over on the W2M network, so give that a follow on whatever podcasting platform you prefer to use. That's deeply appreciated, and there's a lot of people over there putting out a lot of content, so give it a listen. You will find something you like. I practically guarantee it. My guarantee is not legally binding in this particular instance. But on that note, thank you all very much. Well, and the, oh, sorry. Forgot the other things I do. Uh, last week, I think it was last week, I covered WWE Raw Monday night because someone had to. Uh, my review for MLW's Battle Riot is up. That served as kind of a soft relaunch for the company. Uh, certainly kind of a reboot. The end of the previous season, the start of the next one. Uh, I covered AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday as well. SmackDown on Friday. This week, Dark Elevation, uh, AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, whatever MLW does on Wednesday, SmackDown on Friday, and then, I don't know why I'm blanking, and then UFC 265 on Saturday, so please do give all that a listen. All of my live coverage can be found over at 411mania.com in either the wrestling or MMA zones. And we'll be back here next week to review UFC 265 and preview wait really i think we have a week off oh right right they had an event scheduled for the 14th but they uh they canceled it i forgot that yeah so we'll just be doing a review next week there is no event august 14th uh the next event after that will be august 21st when can jerry kennedy and kelvin gastelum fight yeah, they were supposed to have that. They were trying to have that event in London, and then, well, London, uh, you know, the, uh, the state of the pandemic kind of flared up again, and that seems to not really be a thing that's happening at the moment, but, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, I'll have a Saturday off. I don't know what I'll do with it, but I'll have something. So, be on the lookout next week. We'll be back here to review 265 and talk about whatever news happens to break between now and then, because the news never stops. Never stops. All right. Thank you all again very much. Appreciate you all. Until next time, stay safe out there, and please continue to remember, and please remember to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>